Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. I'm going to invite you to come with me in your Bibles to the 18th chapter of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book in the Bible, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. I'm going to preach a message called Gardens in Babylon. I was a bit reluctant to preach this message because I consider your pastor to have a much better mind for eschatology than me. Eschatology, of course, being the part of theology concerned with death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul and of all humankind. Pastor Jake is great when it comes to eschatology, uh, so if uh, I make errors, he can correct my errors next week. We are living in utterly perplexing times. We are living in disorientating and difficult days. And I think that what we need to negotiate the challenges of these days and to live by faith and to persevere to the end is an apocalypse. Yes, we need an apocalypse. About a year ago, I was listening to a message by New Testament scholar Daryl Johnson. And he said something that changed my whole understanding of this word, apocalypse. So allow me to directly quote from that message. He says, most people in our culture today hear the word apocalypse and say, oh no, something bad is about to happen. And that's how the media uses the word. So they speak of riots or earthquakes or weird weather patterns as apocalyptic. But that's the wrong word. The word they ought to use is cataclysm now, or catastrophe now, but not apocalypse now. In the first century, when somebody heard that there was going to be an apocalypse, their response would have been, good, finally, bring it on. Because the word apocalypse simply means to take the cover off a box, or to open a door or a window, or to pull back a curtain, so that what is always there can now be visible. Apocalyptic literature, like, that, like what we're dealing with in the last book of the Bible, has two pastoral purposes. One is to set the present moment and all of its fear and all of its uncertainty, to set the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the future. Jesus is coming, and he's bringing with him a new heaven and a new earth. And if we just see that future for just a moment, it will shape the way we understand the present and live in it. So we set the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the future. But the most important pastoral role is to set the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the present. There's more to this present moment than we can know with our unaided intellect and our emotions and our imagination. And the role of this literature is to open up that more so that we know where we're actually living. Isn't that great? So I'm going to do my best to teach well this morning from Revelation 18, and I'm praying for an apocalypse in these next few minutes. I'm praying that you would see our present moment in light of the unseen realities of both the future and the present. And you would find fresh and substantive hope to live well and faith to face the day. Why don't we pray together for an apocalypse now? (laughs) 
Come and speak to us, God, as we look to your word. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and hearts to receive. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at our text. If you have your Bibles, Revelation 18, we're going to start by reading verses 1 through to 10. I'm reading out of the ESV. Sometimes the language in Revelation can be very confusing. As we read this text, if it doesn't all make sense to you immediately, if you have difficulty following or understanding what is going on as we read it, don't be discouraged by that. Hopefully I can help you to make some sense of it as we go along. From verse 1, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. And she glorified, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon. For in a single hour, your judgment has come. It's a heavy text for the morning. The Bible teaches that the same Jesus Christ who was crucified on a cross on Calvary, the same Jesus Christ who rose bodily and who ascended to heaven, this same Jesus Christ will return to earth someday. Upon his return, he will judge sinners. He will destroy the wicked, and he will set up his kingdom on earth. This will be a kingdom over which he will rule as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His kingdom will be populated exclusively by those who have believed upon him and so have been saved. The first time Jesus came, he was wrongly crowned with thorns and mockery. The next time Jesus comes, he will be rightfully crowned with majesty and praise. The world is destined to climax with the bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ as he comes in great power and with great glory. He is coming to take his rightful place. And once he takes his rightful place, he will turn this upside-down world right-side up. Now, we are here in Revelation 18. As I read it, the story of that glorious return really commences from chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. Chapters 20 to 22 describes what happens after that glorious return. Chapters 6 through to 18 describes what happens before that glorious return. So here today, as we are camped in chapter 18, we find ourselves right on the very edge of the return of Jesus Christ. What an exciting place to be. Chapter 18 
features one of the most complete pictures of the state of the world at the end of man's day, sociopolitically, economically, religiously. In chapter 18, we see the culmination of man's long quest that began when we sought in vain to build a tower tall enough to reach heaven so as to make a name for ourselves. This is the crescendo of humanity's rebellion to God. And it is all presided over by this shadowy antichrist figure who is called the beast in the book of Revelation. He appears as a kind of a foreman to, in man's end time rebellious construction. And chapter 18 is about the judgment of all of that. So let's just read again from verse one. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. That's the pronouncement. Judgment is coming. The system is going to fall. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. The tower is going to collapse and it will fall atop of all of those within it. Babylon will be judged and Babylon will fall. Now, I want to introduce a word which may be new to some and familiar to others. That word is type. The study of biblical typology is the study of types in the Bible. A type is a kind of prophetic symbol, a representation of something that is yet future. For example, there are many kinds of types of Jesus in the Old Testament. The tabernacle, the sacrificial system, the Passover, these are all prophetic symbols pointing to Jesus who would come and then fulfill them all. There are many people who are types of Jesus in the Old Testament. People like Adam and Moses and Joseph, who in some way or at some time resembled or behaved in a way that prophetically foreshadowed Jesus. Now, Babylon is a kind of type too, but not for Jesus. Babylon was a type of the whole Antichrist system. Babylon was a real city in what is Iraq today. Babylon was a real city that became a real state that became a real empire. And because Babylon was constantly in rebellion and in opposition to God and his people, Babylon is used in scripture as a symbol of rebellious people. And particularly in the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ as a symbol of the fallen religious political, financial systems of rebellious people immediately preceding the second coming of Jesus Christ. So the angel declares, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Historical Babylon fell in 539 BC, well before John made this pronouncement. But this is referring to a far greater fall of a far greater Babylon. Now, A pronouncement of judgment like this sounds scary. I get it. And it could be, depending on where you are on that day, on which side of the judgment you're on. If you're within the tower on that day, if you haven't come out of Babylon, this judgment will be horrifying. But if you've come out of Babylon, 
then this judgment becomes a hopeful event because, as I said earlier, this is King Jesus coming to take his rightful place and to evict the pretender that is occupying his throne. This is Jesus coming to turn this upside-down world right side up. And this is the confidence that is unique to the Christian. Whatever is happening in the world right now, or at any stage, even to the very end, we know that Jesus Christ will triumph. He must reign. And the wretchedness, the wickedness, the futility of this fallen world will someday reach an end. The cry in our hearts for justice, for equity, for purity, for righteousness, for goodness, it will someday be satisfied because Babylon will fall. So judgment is pronounced. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. But mercifully, even in the midst of this end-time pronouncement of judgment, there's this last-minute call to escape. There is this generous and open call to disentangle yourself from this condemned system before it's too late. See this in verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plague. Now understand, God has not been at all sparing up to this point in calling people to escape and to find refuge in him. In Revelation 7, we see God moving to bring about a massive end-time harvest from national Israel, as well as an innumerable number of people from every tongue and every tribe and every people and every nation. But even here, even in these very last seconds, we still see the heart of God and his concern for lost people. Now, this has something to say to us about our day too, because we may not yet live in the days of Revelation 18, but there's still a Babylon to flee. Now, I am convinced that the greatest challenge for pastors and the greatest challenge for parents is to prepare people to live as exiles in Babylon. And so much of Scripture calls us to this kind of approach to life and faith. For example, 1 John 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Don't be seduced by the world. Don't be seduced by iniquity in any age, in every age, and particularly in the last age, because wherever there is idolatry, wherever there is self-glorification, wherever there is pride, wherever there is a reliance on wealth, wherever there is a celebration or whitewashing of sin, there is Babylon, and God will judge Babylon, and Babylon will fall. Verse 4 calls to you and your neighbor to come out before it's too late. Now, I know we're moving fast. Verse 5 is interesting. 
So we'll read starting midway through verse four, but there's a phrase in verse five that I wanna emphasize. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven. For her sins are heaped high as heaven. Now, do you remember the, uh, the origin story of historical Babylon, the Tower of Babel? We're going to build a tower that will reach heaven for the glory of our own name. That's how this whole Antichrist system began. And they never did reach heaven with a tower of bricks. But they finally reached heaven with a shaky tower of their sins. How could it not fall? It's going to fall. As we move into verses 6 through to 8, the angel turns from speaking to John, and he now speaks to God. He is petitioning God to execute his righteous judgment on Babylon. Now, for the sake of time, we won't read it, but I know that it seems a little jarring. Saints have prayed for God to execute justice on this wicked system for millennia. In the Psalms, we read Psalm 28, 4, give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Psalm 137, verse 1, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. It's a song of lament from the people of God and the pain of exile in Babylon. Now look at verse eight. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. That is nobody's life verse. (laughs) What do we make of that? Well, it's putting the sentiment of Revelation 18 verses 6 through to 8 in the strongest and most graphic of terms. It is a petition for God to get on with executing his righteous judgment on Babylon and to bring the whole system down. And here in Revelation 18, the angel is now formally adding his voice to this growing, mounting chorus of petition. The psalmists, the prophet, the people of God throughout generations, particularly the persecuted, the angel now lends his voice to the cry, God, get on with executing judgment. Bring an end to Babylon. And he will. He will execute judgment. And quickly. Suddenly. And you really get the sense of the suddenness of God's judgment in a recurring kind of phrase throughout the chapter. Verse 8, for this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Verse 10, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. You see these kinds of phrases littered throughout the text. Suddenly, in a single day, even in a single hour, suddenly, but surely, Babylon falls. What do we make of that? 
Well, it's easy sometimes to be discouraged as the Lord seems to tarry and things seem to perpetually go from bad to worse. Babylon seems impenetrable and impervious to our efforts to redeem. Jesus tells the story about a persistent widow who managed to move an unrighteous judge and to give her justice through her sheer persistence. Jesus presents himself as a contrast to this unrighteous judge. He says in Luke 18 verse 7, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So it may seem like Jesus is taking a long time in turning up and turning this upside down world right side up, but he will surely do it. And he'll do it speedily. He'll do it suddenly. And when he does, the story will go on for eternity in our favor. But that's then. That's then. What about now? Remember, we're after an apocalypse. We're looking to see our present moment in light of the unseen realities of both the future and the present so as to live with fresh hope and faith to face the day. So here's the question I want to close with. How do we, as God's people, live in the world so as to be in the world as witnesses but not of the world as participants in their rebellion? How do we be in the world, but not of the world? Look with me to verse four again. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped as high as heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. So how do we live? What do we do? We come out of her. We come out of her. Now, that addresses some of our concern. That addresses how we escape the judgment that is to come and how we can become non-participants in the rebellion of Babylon. But then to round it off, I want to show you something which might seem contradictory, but is actually totally complementary. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. From verse 1 we read, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So, now... How do these exiles in Babylon behave? How should we? How do they relate to their Babylonian neighbors and authorities? How do we? Let's look at verse four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. 
but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So, which is it? Do we come out of Babylon or do we build houses in Babylon? Do we come out of Babylon or do we plant gardens in Babylon? Do we come out of Babylon or do we get married and have children in Babylon? Do we come out of Babylon or do we seek the welfare of the Babylonian city? The answer, yes. Yes. In fact, the way that we best do the latter is to first do the former. We come out of Babylon and then we go back into Babylon to seek its welfare and to call to her. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped as high as the heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. This is why Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's what he does. He calls us out and then he sends us back in to call others out and we send them back in to call others out all the way until the very last seconds of the age. So, that's not that hard, is it, Revelation? It took me a long time to get here. Build houses in Babylon. Make homes. But be different in the way that you build. Plant gardens in Babylon. Flourish. Start businesses. But be different in the way that you plant. Marry and have children. Be fruitful. Multiply. But be different in the way that you're a husband or a wife, a father, a mother. Be as Christ is in the world. And in doing so, seek the welfare of the city. Let's pray. Help us to be as you are in this world. Help us to not be discouraged as we look around us and things seem to go from bad to worse. Help us to shine as stars in the night sky. Let our light so shine before others that they may see our good deeds and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Help us to be disciples and so make disciples. Help us to decisively come out and then responsively go back in. Holy Spirit, come, come, come and help us to build houses, to plant gardens, to marry, to parent, and to be as you are in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. 
If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.